Hey, this is Mark Lee, and you're listening to the 70th episode of Low Profile. Today, I've got Carl Blau on as a guest host, a correspondent from Philadelphia, and you may remember him from previous episodes. Anyway, he was interviewing this band called Hermit Thrushes in Philadelphia, and uh, he lost the tape for Spencer one of the members of the group. So I'm going to bring Spencer on to help introduce this episode. Yeah, it was like uh, when he first moved to Philly. And uh, so we met at a nearby park at like 10 o'clock p.m. in the dark. And it was windy. It was like not a good time to like record uh, audio, (laughs) I don't think. (laughs) It was fun, but I don't really remember what I said. And, you know, it was a a couple years ago now. I think it came out great, and uh, now now you're on it, helping introduce the unwitting listener to the band Hermit Thrushes. I mean, how how would you describe the band to someone who wasn't familiar? Oh wow, um, you you know, like uh, Steve at the grocery store is like, oh yeah, you're in a band. Well, what what kind of music do you play? Yeah, like uh, like. Um like a gam- gamelan pop band with like home alone ho- homemade mu- uh instruments you know <laughs> home alone instruments <laughs> no, not home alone. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah like the blowtorch uh doorknob or whatever the hell they did no homemade instruments that make kind of like short and sweet and strange little pop songs just kind of yeah played a lot of like auxiliary bits and pieces that were that fit into the songs kind of nicely um and uh yeah you know i was friends with everybody so my other role is just sort of hanging out with everybody and being you know being in a band (laughs) you know it's not just making music all the time so yeah i'm no longer in the band but i was for a long time and i guess i played the last time they played a show we played a show i played it with them so unless i'm mistaken unless they played a show and i didn't know about it Oh man, you got to get on that email list. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll, I'm not on the email list anymore. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a link to that at the end of today's show. So <laughs> yeah, I guess I should get on that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of our music incorporates microtonal harmony, harmony and melody, phase relationships. So when things start in beat with one another and drift in a way that's generally like this is like the main kind of relationship out in the world like almost nothing is synchronized outside of music and like uh industrial machinery and like car engines and things like that but like most things in nature are not synchronized they go in and out of phase with one another and that is like the dominant mode of relationship and so i think that's a fun thing to explore in music also because it's just beautiful it's like approaches nature in a way that a lot of other musical techniques don't allow you're listening to low profile with hermit thrushes i'm philly correspondent Carl Blau, in for Markley Morrison. I sat down with Hermit Thrushes, Andrew, Taryn, and Yanni for this conversation. I'm Andrew Keller. I play viola in Hermit Thrushes. I'm Yanni. I play guitar-shaped instrument and sing in Hermit Thrushes. I'm Taryn. I play drums in Hermit Thrushes. artists and musicians yeah do you want your own vinyl records yeah but i can't order a thousand of them or wait like a year to get them yeah we're going on tour in two months check out our friends lathecuts.com they'll make you vinyl singles in quantities as small as 50 copies and as quickly as three or four weeks get out of here you heard me right all their pricing is a la carte and they can help you pick a package that fits your budget. Okay, who we talk to about this? You need to email my buddy Mike. 
His address is lathecuts at yahoo.com. And if you mention low profile, you'll get a 10% overrun on your order. So if I order 50 records, Mike's going to send you 55. If I order 75, I guess you will get 82 and a half. Something like that. Remember, you got to mention low profile to get that deal, and it won't be around forever. What was that address again? That's lathecuts at yahoo.com. Custom made records in small quantities. Mention low profile to get a 10% overrun on your order. And emailing now. It's it's happening in slow-mo. Um, we're not very actively working on it, but it's, it's kind of um, building over time and there's been some full band music and then there's a bunch of music that I've just been thinking about and not making yet but that that might be more solo and like tape manipulation and um, sound art type music how much are you sharing with everyone else at this point um not sharing anything at all so far just just kind of mulling over the um i'm just thinking about the sounds that i want to use and how to make them so there's not much to share yet heard the midi demos yes yeah we we learn everything from the midi demos what's that like for you um like putting headphones on and playing drums until you get these really intricate parts yeah that's pretty much exactly exactly it because the the rhythms are pretty irregular so actually learning them by ear from the demos is like the easiest way And we also have a byproduct of making the MIDI demos is that we can make sheet music from them really easily so everybody can refer to the sheet music as as we figure the songs out. But oftentimes it's just easier to listen and play along. I think at first I was just learning them by ear, like Taryn. Well, yeah, like Annie said, I, now I now I use the because um, they just got more complex, and so I use the notation, musical notation, as well as listening. So, like when band rehearsals, you call band rehearsal, you like expect everyone to know the parts. Yeah, there's pretty like, much. There's a little bit of homework before we try a new song. So we each kind of familiarize ourselves with the parts and then we try to put it all together. And usually at first it seems um, stupid or frustrating or impossible. And then, you know, like, like any, like anything we, it starts making sense, you know, the more we play it. So uh, yeah, we do our homework and then we come together and try it in real life. Patrick Goldmeadow, which is the one you played drums on, Taryn. Yeah. What was that like for you, like recording Patrick Goldmeadow? 
It was great. It was that was my first experience recording. Um, I think with a band, and um, we recorded with James Raskalchik and Dan Angel um, at their old studio in Philly, which was called the Sex Dungeon, and it was like many of our friends recorded there, and it was such a positive and cool experience. They're both really, really great engineers. The vibe is awesome. And we played all the songs live. We recorded them live um, and then overdubbed just a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, I think we came in really well practiced and it was just a super positive experience. And we the product was really like true to how we sound playing live at shows, which I was happy with. So you had kind of played those songs out a bit? Yeah, for for like a couple years at that mm-hmm. point, probably. Mm-hmm. Or no? Yeah. Know. Yeah, but yeah. Yes. it oh, just okay. seems... For many years. Through like three or four different iterations of the band. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but how long? I had played them for a year, maybe. Yeah. I forget. But we, we, they were road tested. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Was that, by, de- was that by design? Um, no, we just didn't get around to recording. <laughs> and it, I think that's the only record that we made that actually sounds like the band sounds. The A lot of the other albums, the like recordings of the songs were presented in more of... Using recording as a medium more. And I think that album has some of the most straightforward like recording technique so it sounds like the band sounds came out was it we went on tour where did you go coast west coast yeah yeah we did a national tour for that we went out to california and up into canada a bit oh yeah was that just hermit thrushes on tour or with another any other groups well it was um that was in that was the one where we toured out to the west coast as hermit thrushes and then I stayed on the West Coast to to do some art an art project with some friends out there and uh Andrew, Yanni, Spencer and our friend Darian toured back as Snowcaps, which is Andrew's project. Which record was that for Snowcaps? Uh, it was Don't Take Me Back. Nice. That was the third third one. Very. That's a very cons- conserving energy. That's a good. That's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, kinds of places are you playing on this tour? Um, like, do you have like our all ages sort of a, a vibe, or where are you going? We've always, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking a lot. Um, we've always played like really kind of 
what I think of as classic DIY type of like um, house shows, galleries, like closets, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> weird spaces. Um, my favorite. I love to play like experimental venues and art galleries. Um, I don't think we do well in a bar. Uh, that's like not our vibe. Yeah, we actually really do terrible at bars. Why is that? A lot of our music has like silence and like very <laughs> slow, quiet parts. And I think that's like the worst thing you can do at a bar because people people are going to try to talk and they're right to do so. They're, <laughs> they're in a fucking bar. Like that's, they're hanging out. They're being social. If you have like, a lot of dynamics in your music it's just not like a fun place to be because the audience isn't able to if, if they want to engage with what you're doing they really can't the other half of the audience wants to just be at the bar and that's totally cool and then the band feels weird for disrupting people's atmosphere so we'll we'll play a bar but it's not first choice we also don't have a lot of extended like beats and grooves, which I feel like is like what you, what people in a bar want to hear. Usually. We're rock, we're not a rock band. Yeah, we don't have like a lot of repeated parts at all. Yeah. So the songs are very short and like linear. Like there's not a lot of repetition, and I just feel like that's not the kind of music that's like a party atmosphere usually. Yeah, we're not a party band. Album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andrew, do you have any fun um, bar stories from Hermit Thrush's adventures? No. We'd rather not think or talk <laughs> <Yeah>. about bars. <laughs> I really don't like bars, to be honest. Well, how about a different... Uh, do you remember any um, memorable... Sh do you have a memorable... Uh, any, any sweet memories from... Or, you know... From that tour? Yeah. Um... Yeah, we we had a rough time in Montreal. Um, we got. Can can we talk about this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got we got robbed, um, and then we were just like, you know, well, they didn't they didn't take our instruments, so that was good. They they took a lot of other stuff, <laughs> but the we car got broken into. Yeah, we yeah we the car got broken into, but um. We we went to this like house show, and everybody was really nice to us and like really sympathetic, and helped us out a bunch, and, and that was just great. It was it was wonderful. I mean, it was just so much better. We were thinking like, if we had to go to a bar tonight, we would just give up. Like that that would be the worst thing ever. But but that didn't happen, and I think Taryn booked that show. So thank you, Taryn. <laughs> yeah, that was like the most sweet and supportive um, place to go after having a bad incident. Everyone was so cool. And they had a free pile. Our, my suitcase with all my clothes got stolen, but it was like a, like a queer communal house of women and they had a big free pile and I replaced my entire wardrobe like that day. <laughs> and I was like, great, this is fine. Keep on going. <laughs> With like cute, chic Montreal clothes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Didn't take your instruments. Is that a testimony to kinds of gear, gear you're hauling around? <laughs> yes. The, there's, yeah, we have like probably the crappiest uh, instruments that you could, that money can buy. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, um, to keep people from asking us about our gear. Or like, <laughs> borrowing it. <laughs> yeah, we're borrowing it. Um, but also, it's just what we like. But yeah, I think they looked in the back of the car and saw the instruments and were like, eh, nah. Did you have that crank yeah. instrument? <laughs> they said, what a hunk of junk, and they left it. <laughs> we'll 
we'll take the clothes and the laptops. So, that, so you toured all around for for um, that for for the following year, and then I mean, did you just keep touring these songs, or did you eventually just like? bring it back to Philly and just kind of do more local shows what, what did it look like yeah we didn't do all that I mean we toured that year when we put out the record and then we kind of really haven't toured much since um, so we've been pretty pretty Philly uh, bound for a while and I think we've also kind of just slowed down in general like presenting to the public so I think that was that was intentional though, mm-hmm. to that part at least. Yeah, and we just. What was our intention? Well, the intention was to just play fewer shows and have them really count. Yes. That's and right. really enjoy playing them, and present to an audience that we like playing to, and and all these things. So. Right. Yeah, I think that came out of the, not wanting to, just play at bars all the time. Yeah. Conversations. Hi, I'm Anna Winter. Do you love listening to Low Profile? There are several ways you can support this show. You can sign up for flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash lowprofile at the cost of a cup of coffee once a month. If you join the Patreon community, you can get advanced episode releases, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and early access to merchandise. If you can't contribute financially, it always helps if you tell a friend about your favorite episodes, share about Low Profile on social media, subscribe for free on your favorite podcast platform, and give us a rating and review whenever you listen. Low Profile also receives in-kind support thanks to these independent Olympia businesses. San Francisco Street Bakery, Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing Company. And most of all, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Now, let's get to today's show. I think I started writing the songs for this project, um, kind of processing very like big, weird feelings about like place in the universe. And it was especially related to, um, my first trip to Greece and just walking around in a place where I, I knew my ancestors had come from here and had lived their whole lives here and had died here and been forgotten here. And it was a very strange sensation, just feeling like the heaviness of a place without trying to just being there and like, knowing that, you know, part of my story inexplicably is in this place that is not my home, that is not familiar to me, um, but that carries just like a tremendous vibe. Like I went there and I felt connected immediately. I come from a place I don't generally have like I don't know like religious feelings or spiritual feelings but I felt like a deep crazy spiritual connection um, when I went there and I started writing a lot of music um, just in my notebook and writing lyrics and I found like a crummy guitar in the trash and I started writing a lot of songs on that um, when I while I was still in Greece and I had a little handheld recorder so I was recording just the sounds of the country and um, recording some of the early songs you know demos for songs um, but I didn't 
think about it like I'm going to start a band of this. It was just kind of like, where do I put these thoughts and feelings? And this seems like the most direct route from the internal to the external. And your uh, influence had something to do with, with, uh, with Greek music as well. Can you say a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Uh, definitely the first music that I ever saw performed live was Greek music. Um, I saw, you know, when I was growing up, I lived on the same street as the Greek Orthodox church that we went to. And that was like my first real connection to music was just seeing people play music and dance. And that was something that I just loved. Like I didn't really like going to church, but I loved hearing the music and going to like festivals and dances. And I loved the liturgical music of um, like on Sunday, hearing the chanters and the priests and um, that side of, you know, the, uh, the religious music, but also the secular music was just crazy to me. Um, or rather it wasn't, it was normal to me. And then I grew up and realized it was crazy. Um, there's a lot of really sort of like strange meters and learning, learning some of the different dances was really unintuitive because you have these like staggered rhythms and a lot of like odd time signatures and you're doing this like complicated footwork to these like really weird things. And that was like the first music that I really had a connection to. Um, sorry, this is like kind of rambling. So you were, but... you were dancing to this as well. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They made it all the little kids dance too. Well, so you're just, you're feeling, you're like, uh, it's really internalizing these, the, the, the time signatures. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that wasn't, I didn't really think about that till a lot later. Um, but really all, always, I've always written music, um, far away from four, four without really thinking about it or knowing why, or, uh, without really trying to make a big deal of it. It's just, I, I like those are things I gravitate towards odd times and making them feel natural and not forced in a way that's like, um, mathy or something like that. Um, or like Prague music. I like odd times that feel not odd. If that makes sense. It might not to everyone. Baby, you're 
So you're bringing this influence into your early demos that you haven't even conceived the band yet, but you're like writing these songs and you actually record some of these tunes or what happens to these tunes? Um, I guess I recorded our, our first album is called Benaki and it's named after a fam, a museum that's named after a family that started this weird ass museum in Athens. Um, that was like free on Tuesday nights or something. So I would hang out there a lot and it was open till midnight. So I would just walk around this beautiful building and just look at these artifacts that are scattered through time, but gathered in place. So things that were created by humans living thousands of years apart. And that connection made so much sense to me like having um we're all here at some point and we all make little things and the things that i was making were sounds and you know writing words down and so i recorded our whole first album benaki um just by myself and then when we formed a band, we re-recorded it as like a full band. Um, and I think the original, the first, uh, I guess, pressing of it was like a couple CDRs and it just had the floor plan of the Benaki Museum printed on like a white piece of paper. And, and stitched. Yeah, and run through like a sewing machine or something. Yeah. Andrew, what was that? Uh, what was that recording like? Do you, what do you recall from, from, that session or those sessions? Um, I recall from those sessions. I, I I remember. The the most what stands out for me is recording the sousaphone in the bathroom. When Nick when Nick was recording that, it was just the coolest. I thought it was great. Just have this like large instrument in this small space <laughs> just the sound was incredible nick is also he, just a large guy and we did it in the smallest bathroom in the house mm-hmm. so there was like only room for him and maybe like a boom microphone but aside from that there was nothing else in there and it was i guess the whole recording process took place in every room of the house that we were living in and all the songs were done separately. So they all have completely different sonic profile. Um, and yeah, there was like no, no intention to make a certain kind of document. Like each song got its own special attention. So it's incoherent is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I also remember just, again, playing these songs and these parts hundreds of times before I could even attempt to play them and record them. And I was so out of practice with guitar that back then it was just like a lot of improvement, but it took a lot of effort and time. But I also, the thing to note about these songs is that they're very short. So you can play them. You can just put it on repeat and just play it over and over again. And just like an hour later, you're like, I've played this 60 times. (laughs) So... That was fun. Is that so? This is taking place in the house. How many people who lived there were on the on the record? Was everyone who lived there just like the, in the band, or how did that work? I think four of us were in the band, and then our bass player at the time, Matt, was the only one that didn't live in the house. So yeah, it was like a family band kind of vibe. We practiced a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> did, did you take these songs out in public at all after recording them or at any point? Yeah, but sparingly. We we played we played at an like a defunct um Philly punk house called the Cat Box and we played at Rutgers Camden. Those were the, our the, first early shows. Was that the first show at the Cat Box or you think our first show yeah our first show i yeah, thought the I so. Rutgers one was the first 
Well, I trust you. I think the Rutgers show was the first one. Cool. Okay. Yeah. The black box. Yeah. Then we played the cat box. Yes. Yeah. We had a thing. What was it? <laughs> Boxes. <laughs> what was um? What was that like playing these songs out for the first time in the group? With with the group. I have no I have no recollection. I I'm I'm like. It was a weird transition into, like. Uh, something that felt really private and like doing it on purpose in front of strangers. Uh, it wasn't fun for me. Definitely. It was just, it was kind of scary. Um, but it, it helped me like recontextualize what we had been doing, like hearing it through other people's ears. Um, which I don't think is like a good or a bad thing, but it did. It did make me hear it in a different way. I think we were all really scared and nervous. Yeah. First couple shows. <laughs> I know I was. We all, we made so many mistakes. Like the first show was just like, that song just fell apart. Okay. Next song. <laughs> yeah. We flunked. <laughs> yeah. Small golden flowers. second record yeah slate fountain slate fountain that's some of the same initial batch of songs from greece but with a little bit of distance with like some perspective and time passing between the trip to greece and like coming back down to earth back in Philly and like readjusting to my life. Um, I don't know. So you're playing those shows like live again and, and, and the, the band knew a lot of these tunes. So you just went back in the studio and kind of cut these new tunes. Yeah. Or not new, we never like, even the... saw a studio. We were, we were yeah, we recorded in, in Sam's like <laughs> parents old house. And it was just like, parents are gone, let's put mics in the living room, you know, that kind of vibe. One thing that occurs to me, I don't know if it was always like this, but like for the batches of songs for the albums, um, I feel like since I've been in the band for the last five or six years or something, there's never really like batches, it's like a new song just comes along whenever you write it and we learn it and then when we have like an album's worth of new songs however long that takes (laughs) then we just record all those songs so it doesn't seem like at least since I've been in the band that that they are like batches necessarily it's kind of like we slowly learn you know one at a time all these new songs and then that amounts to like an album's worth of material. Would you say that it's always been like that? Well, no, I think, I think there used to be real batches. Oh really? Yeah. I felt, I felt really strongly like, okay, this is part of this collection. This makes sense with this other stuff. And, oh no, I'm onto some different thing. This is a stopping point. Like save, save this for later. I felt like there was batches now I'm just, yeah, it's too slow. <laughs> too slow for I mean, batches. I mean, too slow. But no, just... I hear it. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with the trickle method. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's trickling. Majorly. Dust, diamonds, bones, and moths. 
Mystery Ocean was the first one that we did in a studio because, well, it's complicated. We recorded that whole album and then my hard drive crashed and we lost all the recordings. And it was, I thought, in my mind, I remember it being the perfect album um, that we could make. But it's probably wrong. Like, if I heard them today, I'd probably be embarrassed. But it was, like, very emotional to lose, you know, whatever, like a year and a half, two years of recordings. And I think the shock of that kind of made me see it a little bit differently. And I was like, no, we should streamline this and try to like make a consistent thing and record all the songs in the same place for the most part, all the live band songs. And so we recorded mystery ocean in a studio with Daniel Smith from Danielson. And we did that because he is like, like a, focused laser beam of a person like has an excellent ear like is super detail oriented is um i think we just like trusted trusted him very much and we wanted we kind of ended up doing like the opposite of the like janky falling apart four track version that we had previously recorded and lost so I don't know if it was just we couldn't go through that same process again because of like an emotional wall, um, but that's what we did. We we went into the studio with him and and we tried it again. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> Andrew, do you remember uh, what what's it, what what are some memories from from Mystery Ocean for you? I remember, like Yanni said, Dan was just like a laser beam. And he was also, he's also really nice. He's a sweet person. And Danielson family is amazing. So I was like triple stoked to be there. And yeah, and we, we practiced, again, we, we rehearsed so much that we, I think we got a lot of it on the first take or second take, which is I mean, that, that, I thought that was pretty cool, too. And we brought an organ there. Did we bring the organ, pump organ? Yeah, we brought a huge 100-year-old pump organ. I don't even remember how we transported it in the van. We had, the, then, we had the, tr- um, the senior home bus. The bus. Yeah, so we loaded a, a 100-year-old pump organ into the bus, drove it to... Daniel's parents' house and loaded it into the basement for like ten seconds of music. Yeah, something. it was very very quick. But it was worth it. It that was like the it's the most perfect. It's cool instrument for that. Very cool. Ten seconds. Mm-hmm. It's on the song "Ancient Wing." It plays like a little solo. It's a, it's a, yeah, the, it's a guitar. Don't I, I also play that? So it's like a guitar, organ, solo. But we play the same notes. It's, I liked, I like that part a lot. Are you playing uh, mainly guitar at this point still? Or is it, still did guitar. you introduce the, not the viola yet? No. It's, uh, that's a whole other chapter. But you were yeah. playing one string guitar, which is sort of like viola, where you're just focusing. Not, not, yeah, not all the time though. Right. But you're you're playing an instrument where you're focusing on one note at a time and how that note sounds instead of like on a guitar you're playing these chords and there's no you're not manipulating the timbre of the note. You're not doing any ornamentation on anything. It's just chord chord chord. And then when you're playing a guitar where all the strings are tuned to the same pitch, it's all about the texture of that pitch. 
Okay, hold on now. So the guitar was prepared with all the strings. How many strings? Six. Yeah. All the same string? Uh, no, they were, I think, the three low E and three high E. Like one in six. Strings. Just barring, you could just bar. I played it. I played it with a um, slide. So you can you can probably cue now Telegraph Hill off that album the first fifteen seconds of that yeah, song or the just intro. fifteen seconds. Then. Yeah. <laughs> no, the intro to that song is a good um, example of use of that. If you want to play that, if you want, yeah. We got to kill, what, an hour? <laughs> How long is this? Yeah, it's an hour. <laughs> you showed me something on Telegraph Hill You showed me something that was covered in trees we're hearing about the pump organ and the prepared guitar. What else was going on in this record? Like interesting instruments slash, um, yeah. What 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 else was happening on this record? I well, I remember recording a bunch of hangers, plastic hangers, like for clothes. Um, just kind of like gently tapping them into each other, I guess. You weren't going to bring up the plastic kings before? I'd <laughs> prod for that. <laughs> no, I, I just remembered now. I um, remember that until you just said it. Yeah. I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a bunch of plastic... Yanni's checking the liner notes here. There's precious little information. It in doesn't that. say plastic hangers. Who played the, the plastic hangers on there? No, yeah, you played a bunch of plastic hangers and uh, scissors. Was it not? That was a different song. I don't know. I don't remember the scissors. Okay. Do we I'll play the it. hangers with the scissors? Did you was guys take the plastic was? hangers on tour? Or did that just stay in the studio? No. We had. We did. At this point, we were using the like. We have like a modified like foot pedal tape machine thing so it's like an old dictaphone machine that can play fast forward or rewind with like a kind of sewing machine pedal so we were incorporating a lot of like weird samples that were pre-recorded on cassettes and that could be triggered really precisely with just the touch of a toe so we were taking that on tour, but the coat hangers we left where they belonged, which is in the closet. Unless you're recording the record, That's bring right. them out. So, so we're um, then, and so you took this record on tour too, because like Hermit Thrush is just tours. I mean, how many shows have you played up until this point? That like was like hundreds of shows. Hermit Thrush has gone on the on the road at this point. I mean, you guys are. You're playing all the time, kind of. Yeah. Is it, this is an active band, like, year, you know, uh, you know, every month you're playing shows. For sure. No, yeah, yeah, around that time, we were, there were some years where we were on tour for, like, six months out of the year, which is fantastic to think about a band with, like, no label support and almost no public appeal playing that much and kind of like f forcing our way into like these punk houses and art galleries and uh, making a, a hellish din. Um, it's just a weird thing to want to do, but we, that's what we wanted to do. And we did. And it's only thanks to the freaks of, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Thank you, freaks. Yeah. Thanks for being out there on the loose. Yeah, it's nice to know. It's nice for freaks to know there's other freaks out there. For sure. It gives you... It's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that there's others really gives you, like, 
it that's the only thing that like makes me even somewhat patriotic i'm like oh my god i like when i'm on tour i, I love america somehow despite it's tremendous shortcomings and like terrible unconscionable history and like everything bad about its current actions i just love the freaks love meeting the freaks Like, I feel like music is such a hard art form because a lot of people don't treat it like it's an art form or a lot of people don't listen to it with those ears. And there's also, it, music takes time. It's not like a painting or something where you walk by and it it hits you like all at once. So I feel like it's a really hard art form to... get people hooked to it's it's it can be so passive it can be background music um it can be really consumable and like pleasant and use all the bits of musical language that we're so familiar with as like a way to get you in the door or it can be exploring this other you know, the world of like unheard sounds, which is like the world that we're trying to get to and trying to use music as a, as a way of exploration and a way of like investigating the self and like the big weird existential questions and like all the difficult stuff. And that's not something that you can really quickly sell to somebody. And so I'm like, I totally get it if nobody wants to book our band. You know what I mean? Like I'm not mad. <laughs> and and like honestly we're we're playing less and less shows um in general and I feel like that's fine. I I love playing a couple total blowout fun cool shows with like the creme de la creme of like earth's nice weird music people. Um, and I'd rather do that than play a hundred bars. So I guess getting back to our bar question. Well, then you don't get friend fatigue too, like you were just talking about. Yeah, right. Maybe we can talk about the switch from like how you, how we got to the place of Potsherd Gold Meadow versus Mystery Ocean or something. If you want to talk about, I think that. you should talk about the homemade instrument. Yeah, like that's oh, yeah. From the very beginning of this project, I was interested in the foundational blocks of the songs to be their own medium. So like. Some people get really into writing lyrics. Some people get really into writing guitar parts. I wanted all of that to be equally important, and I wanted the texture and the sound to be also a creative medium. And so on like the first record, there was all sorts of stuff that was homemade or like janky or weird. There was like a choir of like tuned glasses like singing through some of the songs there was yeah playing a pair of scissors and playing plastic hangers and there's always been 
alternate methods of sound creation incorporated into the music. Um, and there's always been, you know, incorporating found sound that has a conversation with a song or with like the texture of the music. Um, for example, on push, we have like, um, a bunch of peacocks making their just crazy peacock sound along with a bass clarinet. And they, they kind of like sing together really nicely. So the idea of using different methods of sound creation was integral to the actual songs. And um, at the beginning of the project, I didn't really know how to, how to get to the sounds I wanted to hear. And gradually it became more and more obvious that like I had to make things to make certain sounds. And so we started, um, started using like more modified instruments that were commercially available, like just making the guitars weirder. Um, or like what else? There's been all sorts of stuff. Um, the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Weird keyboard. Um, yeah, a friend gifted me this like really strange musical teaching device that we use as our keyboard. I know that I'm alright. Um, where each key is tunable so we could access for the first time like beautiful world of microtones and so then that became I mean that was something that I had like wanted to experiment with and didn't really know how I have a really hard time um, personally like getting like sitting with people um, in rehearsals and like cracking the whip and getting them to like learn intricate parts but I really want that but so what advice do you give to someone who wants to maybe get their band to <laughs> like go a little further with it like I mean we've we've just always operated this way so it's if you want to be in the band you know what you're signing up for it's just you're going to have to learn a thing there's there's no like generally no um, free play or like jamming or whatever to like learn something um, and all the music is written ahead of time so there are certain sections that will be improvised and then you know within that there's you know people kind of play around and see what sounds good but generally speaking you know we all know that this is how we're going to learn a new song I guess that would be my advice is just let people know when they sign up, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I play these parts sometimes hundreds of times, you know, while we're working on them. It, it's not, it's not something that just, Oh, it's we're done, but you have to keep working at it. I think that's why you sound so good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> C sharp. Is it really? It's a G That's sharp. It's a G sharp. Wait, you know? Andrew knows. Is this true? Yeah. No way. Do, do we need to play it again? Ding. That's it. No. Uh, I was G. wrong. It's a G. No, I was wrong. But that's pretty close, man. Pretty close. Dang. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Now I have relative pitch, not perfect pitch. I mean, there's nothing such no such thing as perfect pitch. But like, yeah, since all the microtonal stuff, I can't. <laughs> I've had, I have a harder. I have a harder time. No, it's great. I love it. It's, yeah, I can sing in choruses again and not be like really hating it every second. Yeah, nails on a chalkboardy. Um, if anybody out there is fam, 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 fam. fam. Join our band on a trial basis. If it works out, you'll lose your perfect pitch. Well, this has been just this has been just wonderful speaking with you all. I feel like we did a we did a really nice arc for a low profile. This is Carl Blau uh, filling in for Mark Lee Morrison. Hermit Thrushes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks thank for having you. me. Thanks, Carl.